Welcome, BoomXers. Let's throw out the old playbook. It's time to tear down the traditional way of looking at your life and money. And leverage the laws of money to our advantage. That's right. There are laws of money. And those who learn and leverage the laws of money win. And sometimes win big. Stay tuned as asset protection attorney Daryl Tuttle, educator and leader of the BoomX Nation, shows us how. Beginners, investors, entrepreneurs, fellow attorneys, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's arm this ball. Now, here's the BoomX Show. The Laws of Money. There are three different ways to look at, to view, to conceptualize money. The first, I believe, a, a, a model of planning that goes back to the Middle Ages, the oldest, the most traditional, I believe is now based on a false premise. People disagree with me. You are free to disagree with me. Because of its antiquity, this particular model uh, is the one that all lawyers know, and it is simply called estate planning. The second view of money is called asset protection. And the third and final view of money, I would call generational family wealth planning. Estate planning, you know, I just have this mental image. I just cannot help thinking about William the Conqueror. We're not going to go year by year, but in 1066, a uh, gentleman that was really a Viking, his great-great-great-grandfather was uh, a Viking named Rollo who had invaded and conquered, actually, uh, Paris. If you've ever watched the great, just absolutely amazing History Channel TV show on, um, called The Vikings, Rollo is a character in that show. Of course, it's, you know, Hollywood, so they have to glam it up. But there was actually a Viking named Rollo, and he conquered Paris. And he was such a pain after he had, you know, the, the uh, approach back then was beat the Vikings if you can, and if you can't, cut a deal with them. And so the deal was they gave Rollo the Viking a land of his own. Like, you, you can be like a little king of a kingdom out there on the ocean. It's a nice view out there. You'll love it. Well, it was a long way from Paris, and um, it was called Normandy. We call it Normandy. Now, Normandy actually means land of the Norsemen, land of the Vikings. And so they sent a Rollo out there, and century, generations later, he, um, his grandson, great-great-great-grandson, was a guy named William. Now, William executed essentially what is a reverse invasion of Normandy. I mean, it's just ironic. Later, Allied forces from England to Normandy, 1066, it was the exact opposite. So this reverse invasion of Normandy occurred, and William was able to bring all of England together under his rule. And uh, that, that had been um, accomplished before, but this was the last time England was brought under one kingdom, and it essentially has stayed that way ever since. And so that's a very impactful moment in history. With his uh, buddies, the invasion force, he also brought with him like the French view of law. 
So, so some archaic French legal concepts. Once he had conquered all of England, of course, the first thing he does is, is say, look, I have a logial title to all of England. And what that means is I have a divine right to, to all the land. And I do admit that I have a problem here. I mean, I myself personally cannot go around and I don't even know where the land is. I mean, this is not, there was no Mr. Google back in those days. You couldn't like look up a parcel number. And actually one of the first things that he did was to send out and create the very first English parcel system. And um, there is a, it's called Book of the Dome and it's in Latin, but it's a, it's a description of all of the land in England, which is a remarkable feat. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive, you have to admit. So he came up with a, a grid parcel system for all of England. He gave estates to his closest allies, his invasion force buddies, that they had taken from the then English inhabitants. And so, yay, we've got a new parcel system, and um, I'm going to give, let's say, Black Horse Manor to Lord Fred. Now, which is all great and fine, um, except that a logial title, that whole concept is, I will parcel out to Fred this particular piece of real estate, and he will have some ownership rights. Now, notice I said some. This is the first time in history in which the law looked at real estate as having a bundle, that's what law professors call it, a bundle of rights, and we could split out the different types of property interests. And the concept was, you have full use and even title of the land. However, if you do not have a qualified male heir to pass the estate to at the end of your life, then it reverts back to me, the king, under a concept called escheatment. Now, escheatment is another French archaic word. I am now recording this from Tacoma, Washington, um, have made a trip to back to the United States from Puerto Rico. While I was uh, on Christmas vacation, and, or shortly thereafter, uh, you, as I indicated in my last episode, a swarm of earthquakes devastated the area in Puerto Rico in which I was intending to uh, relocate. So, so I'm <laughs> kind of waiting to see what happens down there in Puerto Rico and if there's anything to come back to. Um, but in Washington state, there is a revised code of Washington statute. It is literally entitled escheatment, which I think is just so cool. I mean, here I am. I just have a degree in history and love it. And, but really, when do you get a chance to talk about history? Well, I've got a podcast. And, oh, by the way, escheatment is a concept originating from William the Conqueror that still exists in the law today. That is so cool. And it simply means in the law today. If, lawyers say, I have said, if you don't have an estate plan, that's okay. The government has one for you. Mm, that ha happens to be 100% accurate. It, it is rare that a sheepman occurs, but it does occur. Um, state governments have in their possession today, as we speak, about 65 billion dollars 
in unclaimed property. Now, unclaimed property is a slightly different issue. Unclaimed property occurs, I believe, anecdotally um, from Alzheimer's, dementia. I mean, I have observed in my own practice clients as they age literally forget they own property. And so when they pass away, they forgot. Kids have to come in. There was no information sharing before the death. So how do you know? And kids do the best they can. They go through mom and dad's file cabinet and try to find the account statements that they can. But as we move more and more towards an online environment, that problem will get worse. Now, a sheetment is dying without a last will and testament, without a trust, without heirs, like you have no children. Now, the law says if someone dies without an estate plan, then we will follow what the government of that particular jurisdiction decides where the assets will go. States do it differently. Some states are community property states. Some states are not. And so think about it. If you're in a community property state and you die without a last will and testament, there is a mandatory distribution to the community spouse. Half of his or her community property share, of course, is is hers, but there's also a mandatory um, distribution to the surviving spouse of the community property in even separate property. So, you know, FYI, um, if you have kids from a prior marriage, without a written plan, it is technically correct that the government's plan might differ from, from, from what you intended. But what if there's like no, no surviving spouse, no children, where does the estate go? Well, if, I won't go into the intricacies of what they call the intestate statute. That's not the point. The point is, if they exhaust all the statutory heirs, it, your estate goes to the government. And it's just added to government coffers, and yay, they make a lot of money. And it is so cool that that originated from a dude that is coming across the English Channel, bringing that word with him, a sheetment. Now, here's the point. English law um, eventually became American law. I mean, a sheetment came across the ocean to America on the Mayflower. (laughs) I mean, British common law has made its way to Washington State to Alaska, to Hawaii. It's that staggering that the human mind can conceive of a legal concept and hang on to it so tightly for that amount of time. But estate planning is based upon the premise um, or focuses on estate transfer. That's its purpose, estate transfer. And back in William the Conqueror's days, the average life expectancy of a male was 25 years old old. I mean, think about that. That, that, That's astounding. Like, what kind of decisions would you make out of high school? Like, let's say you're 19 years old. Let's just say an even 20, 20 years old, just to be, use even numbers. So I'm 20 years old. I have another five years to live. Why go to college? By the time I graduate, I'll be dead. I mean, like, you just make a completely different set of decisions. The law is reactive, not proactive. It looks back in time for guidance on how to resolve current day conflicts. 
The law is not innovative. It does not look forward at one second. Physics, by the way, is the only science or study in which the future can be accurately predicted. I've said that before, but the law is not. Now, this is important because, man, it took a thousand years for life expectancy to double to, to 50 years. In the early 1900s, believe it or not, in the early 1900s, life expectancy for an American male was 49.7 years. And I'm 55. I mean, like if I lived in 1920, I'd be dead by now. However, modern science, if you look at the innovations in science, vaccines, polio vaccines, um, penicillin, it's astounding that life expectancy has now increased for an American male to 84 years old. And there's indications that there will be a big jump as there's like these Google billionaires. I don't think they're as smart as they think they are. They're trying to expand human life to 250 years. That, that is like the worst idea ever. Can, can you imagine? You're 200 years old. You know, I'm kind of tired of um, being a lawyer. I've, I've been a lawyer for um, 100 years. I think I'll go to medical school. <laughs> it's just like, why are going to torture ourselves like that? But human life has now expanded to, let's, let's give it like 85 years is a good shelf life for a human. Estate planning law has not caught up. Estate planning law is obsessed with one thing. When you die, where do your assets go? That's it. And, and, it, and, it, and it's lazy. A last will and testament, the trigger of it is your death. Normally, a last will and testament would just pass. Like, I, I don't know who you are. If you are married and listening to my voice, I can almost bet you, unless you hire me, I can always bet you, you, if you have an estate plan at all, it's a last will and testament. If I die, everything goes to my spouse. Wow. Okay. That, that's great. Um, except that let's have a leap of faith here. Let's suppose you're, you plan on living. Some people who are really on top of it and really proactive come to me in their 60s. Rarely do I have clients who want to do, have an estate plan in their 40s or 50s. That's like why I think 70% of Americans have no estate plan. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But if you come to me and you're 65 years old, let's just take a leap of faith. Let's just go out there on a limb and say, you're going to live another 20 years. Well, you know, I mean, picture your 85-year-old self. If your spouse is near your age when you pass away, she's going to be 85 too. So let's just give her everything. Transfer title easy. Let's use a revocable living trust to avoid probate. They're peddled by attorneys left and right, sold like roasted peanuts at a baseball game. California, everybody has a revocable living trust. Now, the problem is when the assets pass to the surviving spouse, she's 85 years old, she falls, breaks a hip, she gets Alzheimer's. Now, everything's at risk. Everything's at risk because the single biggest threat to your estate is unreimbursed medical expenses. I once had a client pay $30,000 per month for long-term care. I'll let that sink in. 
per month. It is rough being an attorney. You know, these people come into my office and they, it's not even you, if you're older, listening to my voice. It's your children. They come into my office and they are stressed out and their mom and just passed away and dad died five years ago. I don't know where anything is. Or they come into my office, mom, she broke her hip and she's in the nursing home and my dad, now he's at home and he's starting to forget his name. I, and I, I just don't know what to do, Daryl. And of course we go through it step by step from the beginning and we discover that in most cases the parents had absolutely no plan whatsoever. Now, I personally, I mean, this is the modern era. They, they have been bombarded by messaging about long-term care insurance and Medicare supplements and all of these things. It can be overwhelming. It can be extremely misleading and confusing. But at the same time, if you do not have a plan, I don't think it's fair to say, it is fair, but it's not sequentially correct to say the government has a plan for you. Your kids have a plan for you. They don't know what it is yet, but without some organization and some pre-planning, your kids just have to make it up. I know that because I see it over and over and over again. And that becomes extremely expensive and the estate erodes. There are three, one, two, three models of planning. Estate planning does absolutely nothing, nothing to help preserve your estate for you while you are alive to meet the threat of unreimbursed medical expenses. Estate transfer, estate planning, the trigger event is your death. Asset protection, on the other hand, has a different focus. The focus is to, think about it, let's protect assets of our clients, you, the listener, your family, but like let's protect your assets your wealth for you during your lifetime so that you don't lose everything to the four, one of the four categories of wealth erosion in the United States today, which are, number one, unreimbursed medical expenses. Number two, tax, unnecessary taxation, government regulation baloney. Number three, family mismanagement. Th this, that last one, family mismanagement, during your lifetime, I put it at a close third next to maybe taxation or medical expenses. After you pass away, it, that is the number one loss to your estate. And then fourth is lawsuits, which mostly affects businesses. One, two, three, four. The threats are out there. I, I, it is depressing, actually. Um, one of my, my people sometimes say I'm intense, um, which I did not know, actually. <laughs> I did not know I was intense. But it's, it's, a, it's an outrage that hardworking people are losing hundreds of thousands of dollars because of this ticking time bomb out there that they know about, but they have no idea the likelihood and the extent of the damage. Asset protection is about leveraging the law to position assets so they are not available to creditors in an intelligent way with the goal of preserving your wealth while you're alive, which also meets the estate planning goal because after you pass, we all get a term, 
there's more of the estate to leave and, and transfer to spouse and then children. We have to take a break. Just hang on. We'll be back right after this. Hey, Boom Xers, Daryl Tuttle here. We all want to take care of our families. Being a hero to our families can sometimes be a little bit intimidating. Conquering the paperwork, understanding the account statements. What is the first step? For years, I would say, you have to meet the law's requirements. You must first start with legal documents. Well, of course I would say that. I'm a lawyer. But now, in hindsight, I realize that meeting the law's requirements without the proper system in place to, in a sense, have a place for the legal documents to exist and reside, along with your financial information, along with all of the important information about you and your plan to build family wealth is meaningless. But where to start? Start by first organizing and conquering paperwork clutter. That's why I put together the Boom X Vault and Everplan system. This online and completely secure digital portal allows you to upload all of your important information, your financial information, your legal information, your legal documents. On top of it, I've added the ability for you to add family members, decision makers to the portal, the financial command post, shall we say, so that when the time comes, everyone has the right information at the right time. Let me show you how the BoomX Vault Everplan system worked. Go to boomxshow.online to learn more. I have added helpful step-by-step -step guides, checklists, and an online community. That's boomxshow.online, boomxshow.online. Welcome back to the Boom X Show Laws of Money podcast. There are three, one, two, three, three models for planning. Four. First is the government's plan. If you have no plan, it is true that the law does have a plan for you. I don't even count that as a plan because the, the thing is, like, the fourth episode of the of this podcast, what a great, I mean, like, that is like an overview. That is a place to start. I mean, the first episode was, I'm Daryl. Hey, how you doing? Um, this is how it works, <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> this is who I am. The sec second one was a very powerful and, and moving episode, which surprisingly has opened up a lot of dialogue. I received a lot of emails about that episode, people sharing similar stories and, and thanking me. I sat on that podcast episode for seven months debating whether I should release it. It is about the death of my father. I did not have a close relationship with him, and I say so. Well, it turns out I'm not alone, and people have been holding back their feelings about these relationships that they've had for so long. And so I hope that particular podcast episode at least serves the purpose of, a, you know, a chance to like think about and say, you know, it, it, it is okay not to have 
and to express how I truly felt about a family leader who failed to lead. Um, but the fourth episode is like, what is the purpose of money? What is the purpose of wealth? And when any time that you approach something, you have to have a swim lane. Like, what are the parameters of my deal? Before I can even get to, like, retirement planning concepts that are out there. I mean, you know, you're being bombarded by messaging from the financial services industry about all these things that you're supposed to do that will ultimately lead surprisingly to a sales pitch about a mutual fund. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, how? what is the time horizon for your money? What are you trying to finance? What is your vision? What is your goals? And most people don't, candidly cannot answer the question like, what is the purpose of your money, lady? I mean, <laughs> and so they have a very odd relationship with their wealth. And they're seeking guidance on how to put it into perspective before they can come up with a, a build a, a retirement. That's, that, that's why I think retirement plans, the retirement blueprints and roadmaps and all, all this stuff that you see out there, doesn't resonate with people. Now, if you had a framework, there are three choices. One would be, I have to pay for my retirement. It's meaningless without legal protection of the assets against the four biggest threats to the estate. That's the part the financial advisors, A, don't understand. They're not licensed to do anything about it if they could. And it's 100% of what matters. Like retirement account planning exists only because the law lets it exist. The solution and the protection of retirement accounts is not a mutual fund. It is not Schwab. It is not any financial services chassis stock market on the planet. It is 100% in the wheelhouse of the law. The answer comes there, not an annuity. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Legal protection is asset protection by the use of and leveraging of the legal provisions within the law. You can think about step up in basis. The most generous provision in the entire estate tax code and the tax code period and how many people even know what that is? It's astounding to me. Did you know that in a separate property state, there are about 19, is there that many? Um, community property states, the rest are separate property states. Step up in basis is the most provision of the entire tax code. Here's how it works. An asset that has been appreciated and is left when the asset owner dies to anyone the new capital gains tax basis jumps up to the, well, adjust to the fair market value of the asset at the time of the asset owner's death, which means if I would go out and buy a property, like a cabin in the woods for $100,000 in 1950 after the war and die today, I leave that cabin in the woods to my son and it's worth a million dollars. If I had sold it the day before I die, I pay capital gains tax on the gain. $900,000, the difference between my purchase price, 100, and fair market value when I sold it, the sale probe of a million. If I leave it to my son, Ben, the question is, what is his capital gains basis? 
Is it the 100000 that I paid or fair market value at the time of my death? The rule is fair market value at the time of my death. He just avoided a massive estate or a capital gains tax. Now, in, um, if I'm married, of course, I'm not leaving it to Ben. I want it to go to my, my spouse. Then the question is, how much of a, is like, it's a community property asset. I bought it with my spouse in 1950. Community property in a community property state, right? But what if I live in a, a separate property state? The answer is half of the asset steps up at the time of my death. That is not the rule in a community property state. Believe it or not, in a community property state, the rule is different. The step up is for the entire asset. Now, if you understand the nuances of what I just said, your jaw should be dropping onto your desk and you should be thinking, OMG, are you kidding me? So I can avoid capital gains tax on an appreciated asset for the entire amount and all I have to do is kill my husband? <laughs> yeah, it, okay, the downside of this wonderful uh, presentation is somebody does have to die for this to occur. But in a community property state, it's the entire asset. In a separate property state, it is not. And so that begs the question, could you transfer an asset into a community property um, jurisdiction, like a trust? Could you create a trust in Washington state if you were in a non in a separate property state and leverage that rule well I mean what a wonderful idea that's astounding that we could actually think about repositioning an asset to leverage a tax law just based on the nuances between separate property and community property voila it should be like harpsichords and harps and angels and heavens, whatever that sound effect is. I'm going to try to find one. That's a great example of using your noggin to leverage the law to enhance your estate. Step up in basis. That is the difference between simple estate transfer, revocable living trusts that are peddled to your detriment, left and right, and asset protection. By the way, listen to me. We've got to take a break here. However, just listen to me. If you're on the treadmill listening to this, get off the treadmill. Pay attention. There have been two court rulings in the last five years that are very troubling. Both of these court rulings have stood for the proposition that transferring a personal residence into one of these revocable living trusts that you might have renders the personal residence, changes its classification from a 100% asset-protected exempt asset to a non-exempt um, non countable asset for Medicaid purposes. What that means is like a trust can serve different purposes. Who cares what we name it? We want to know its purpose. Revocable living trust tells you nothing about the purpose of that trust. That's why people become confused about the word trust. So a trust is just a legal construct to hold personal assets. That's it. 
It's analogous to a limited liability company, a business entity, corporations, and LLC-owned business assets. Trusts own personal assets. A revocable living trust avoids probate. Why don't we just call it a probate avoidance trust? Unfortunately, it's also a blow-up Medicaid for your spouse trust. <laughs> These two court rulings have caused, at least in one jurisdiction, for the Medicaid agency to, to f pass a rule, an eligibility rule, that says, makes me mad, that says that a personal residence inside a trust counts, must be spent down. Teaching point? Stay current in the law, protect your assets, position them so they are titled so that they are exempt or cannot be reached by a creditor. That's the basic premise of asset protection. It's important. Memorize that. <laughs> Estate planning, asset protection, when we come back from the break, we'll go to the third important model philosophy regarding money. And that is Generational Family Wealth Enhancement Planning. We'll be back right after this. This just in. On December 20th, President Trump signed the most important legislative act affecting retirement accounts in the modern era. As part of the Year-End Appropriations Act, the SECURE Act was signed without fanfare and caused surprise and alarm in the estate planning and retirement planning industries. While the intent of the act was to enhance retirement savings among those Americans who had not planned, a negative consequence of the legislation is a rule that drastically shortens tax deferral of the retirement account for the benefit of the second generation retirement account owner's children. Experts in the industry comment that this is the fourth legal change affecting wealth in America and does cause concern among them. To get the latest on the SECURE Act, how it impacts you, your family, and your estate plan, join us for the new BoomX Academy Asset Protection Legal Update and Analysis. This new series will present live and free in a webinar format every Thursday. To register or to learn more about the BoomX Academy Asset Protection Legal Update and analysis series, simply go to boomxshow.com. Once again, that's boomxshow.com. And now, back to your host and the BoomX Show Laws of Money podcast. Welcome back to the BoomX Show Laws of Money podcast. I am in the BoomX Media Production Studios in Tacoma, Washington. It is a dark and rainy day out there. And I have to say, there is not many times that the law, I, you know, I mean, wealth law is, I'm not going to say boring because it is indeed fascinating to me at least. However, it is not very often that the law changes. My clients sometimes express anxiety, like what, I just paid you for all this work that we have done. It's a great plan, Daryl, but what if the law changes? My answer for 20 years basically has been relaxed. When it comes to wealth and money, the economy, society, we need stability. I, I mean, I practice one of the most stable, boring areas that you can imagine. This is not like intellectual property with technology and innovation, copywriting and all of these things. 
And that usually is true. And it usually, <laughs> the more anxious of my clients appreciate my calming effect when I, you know, I mean, a probate goes back to the Middle Ages, as does the concept of a trust. Lo and behold, there has indeed been a change to the law. What is bothering me so much is that it is the fourth change, in my view, of consequence in five years. And uh, I admit some of the changes in the past have been subtle, very just like very subtle shifts in the law as to asset protection regarding retirement accounts in particular and also a personal residence. And those are the two most important, I mean, most wealth in America it, by families, middle-class Americans, or, or even upper-class Americans, not, not the super uber wealthy. Who cares about those guys? I'm talking about us, the people. These subtle changes have caused me at least concern, a lot of concern. But I got you covered. Let's just get, go over like the background of the Secure Act briefly. It is true that I am conducting live webinar every Thursday. Um, I hope to do it indefinitely. But the, the concept being, look, you need to be able to answer. At, this is like serious, I think. And I'm not going to say it constitutes an alarm. But I will say that a state planning attorney, the, a, that the higher level, we're all freaking out about it. And so the time is now to meet with your attorney and hopefully be able to be conversant with him or her an intelligent way. A great way to, t to do that is to listen to this podcast, but also to ask your question at the webinars on Thursdays. And um, there are varying times because my listener base is across the United States. So go to boomxshow.com for the schedule and, you know, to register. I won't be able to lay out solutions here today, and we're, we're almost out of time. But at the webinar, we can talk about the five different workarounds that work, that work, the proven strategies that, you know, the tech industry would call it a workaround. I call it, let's fix, let's fight the negative impact of the law with, first of all, understanding it, second of all, leveraging other provisions in the law, and borrowing from the playbooks of asset protection and tax planning to nullify or at least mitigate the negative consequences that these changes have made. Why work so hard? If you're the family leader, or maybe even the second generation, look at John D. Rockefeller. I have been reading a bit about family, well, actually a lot of it, about family wealth, like great families. How did they do it? All they did was develop, evolve, invent a different way of viewing, first of all, family, the, cons the construct of a family, but the longevity and time horizon of wealth. J.D. Rockefeller is the first, and his family is now his legacy as much more, much more so than, or at least as much as his great wealth. And so the webinar series is for solutions, but let's spend some time talking about what the, what the heck happened? I mean, what is the SECURE Act, and why is it impactful? Surprising about the SECURE Act was, I admit being a little bit distracted as I was doing a lot of things in December, as we all were, 
And uh, I was a little bit asleep at the switch. Um, I, I did not know that the SECURE Act had passed. Um, and, well, for, for good reason, really. I'm, I'm not going to give myself a, a break here because it, w- it wasn't like Obamacare, which, you know, everybody's up in arms about that. Um, so funny. Obamacare is basically, there's a lot of nuances to it that people just don't know about, and if they did, who would disagree with it? But it's basically the shocking premise that, okay, how about we come up with something? Medicare for people over age 65 is working great. I mean, that is a stable, well-respected program. And if you're over 65, you have Medicare most likely, and you there's no such thing as the perfect plan, but, but it's pretty close. <laughs> and so, Obamacare is just a staggering proposition that, hey, what about people under 65? That's it. That's all it is. <laughs> no, we get. I've look. I'm an, uh, an I'm not. I don't care one way or the other about blue state or red state or this, that, or the other thing. As an attorney, though, I'm pretty adamant about look. The biggest threat to wealth is unreimbursed medical expenses. If you don't think that that's a problem and important and needs to be fixed, you're not, you don't get to complain about it later. But when you come to my office and you've been complaining about Obamacare for the last 10 years, but now you're whining because your wife fell, broke a hip, and you're paying $30,000 a month. (laughs) I'm sorry, but so um, that aside, the human element of under, really, truly understanding the complexity of law, the law aside, medical expenses, man, that, that that's a that's a big deal. Um, but you know, it it was used. Obamacare was used to stir the pot, get people worked up about politics, and to act like they cared about something that. Or, or, or confuse them to think that they were opposed to the radical concept of affordable medical care <laughs> when the truth is, whatever. Um, the tax bill, that was a big deal. I mean, we all heard about it for days and weeks. But the SECURE Act, man, there was, uh, there was not a peep about it. it just kind of passed secretly, co- covertly. And it's 100% to do with your retirement accounts. Now, wealth and retirement accounts, IRAs, your 401k, your 403b, your SEPs, whatever version of a retirement account you have, I will use the term IRA, individual retirement account. It just It's easier than saying retirement accounts. I mean IRA, any type of retirement account, most notably IRAs and 401ks. The legislation impacts IRAs. And... What's really great about me, there's many great things about me. There's a lot of things about me I like. I happen to have a a list of character defects so long. It's like the yellow pages of character defects right here. But there's some good things. (laughs) The only thing that you need to worry about or think about the SECURE Act, that there are some changes to the SECURE Act that are beneficial. The, The purpose of the SECURE Act is to help people who have not yet saved anything for retirement because that turns out to be a lot of people. And there is a ticking time bomb as a society for people who just 
can't seem to make enough money because there has been wage stagnation for decades. And so they're kind of screwed. And so SECURE Act is essentially a really lame, minimally helpful piece of legislation that helps people who have nothing maybe kind of sort of make that easier for them. Now, for people who have money, which candidly would be my demographic, for those folks, uh, there's nothing but bad news, period. Um, in particular, the, the rule that has changed is the second. It's like, God, you know, you have to be disciplined. It, 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 if, if you want to be serious about money, you have to be disciplined and you have to study and you have to work extremely hard and you have to connect the dots. There is no retirement planning in three easy steps. When you see that on Instagram, ignore it. This is the second legal blow that retirement accounts have taken as applied to your kids, the second generation. If you take out from your retirement account what is called the required minimum distribution, if you only take that out every year, which describes 90% of my clients, and have just like a modest rate of return over your retirement, you're mathematically guaranteed to have an account balance left over on your retirement account when you die. This notion that you had to have a million dollar retirement account to fund your retirement in most cases is baloney hogwash. You will have likely a retirement account balance and it could be the second most important and in some cases the most important asset in your entire estate possibly behind your personal residence. And so your children likely will inherit an IRA from you in that case. Now, there are billions of dollars that's about to transfer. I think actually the number is over a trillion that's going to transfer to children, a lot of it in retirement accounts. Now, at this point, the earlier conversation that I had about the three models becomes very important. If your model is estate planning, just like level one, in my view, lazy planning in which it's like, I, look, I, I'm dead. I don't care. Let the kids have it. See ya. Very odd. I mean, during your lifetime, you did care. Put a lot of energy into building this asset. A lot of energy. In retirement, conscious, simple person. And it turns out you personally did not benefit from all that effort because it just worked out. You made Social Security. Your expenses were low. Everything was paid off. Yay. And then just to be so lazy to say, okay, let, let the kids have it. I'll fill out the beneficiary designation form and they can inherit this IRA. Now, kids are like banditos, man. They, they, they did nothing. <laughs> they, just, they just were born and they get this major inheritance. And uh, statistically, and what I'm seeing is the money's just gone quickly because the kids just, even if they are, oh, no, my kid's responsible. Yeah, he is until he gets a $200,000 IRA <laughs> that he didn't work for. And at this point, the, the, the shift to the wealth, the categorization 
the DEFCONs of threats to your estate changes. Like during your lifetime as you age, the number one threat to your wealth is you, your health, unreimbursed medical expenses by bar none. At, at, at the inheritance point, it's not unreimbursed medical expenses, just obnoxious mismanagement because it's passed on without a set of rules. Children don't even know and often how you invested or why you invested that way and sometimes don't know a bond from a mutual fund. Financial literacy in that second generation is a serious problem. That aside, the first blow to asset protection of retirement accounts was the Supreme Court ruling Remaker uh, versus Clark and, or Clark versus Remaker rather, and the Supreme Court ruling about whether an IRA, any retirement account, was creditor protected in a bankruptcy. Now, be, before you switch the dial because you heard the B word, bankruptcy, let me explain how that works. The number one reason people file for bankruptcy is medical, and in particular, cancer, and in particular, um, even if they recover. The, the financial toxicity related to cancer, even if the patient cancer is in remission, and, and, and the person recovers and lives a full life expectancy, the drain on employment and health from cancer is the biggest factor regarding bankruptcy. And bankruptcy is like, look, we got to help this person get out from underneath the swarm of creditors that occur, even if the person is insured medically. I know this. I was interviewed by NPR of all, of all places and uh, regarding research out of Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and financial toxicity of, of related to this particular disease. And so do you know with 100% certainty that your kids will not marry the wrong spouse who is a, a rock star drug addict or enter into risky real estate investment opportunities offshore with that goes south, rolls through a stoplight, hits a school bus full of children, the bus catches on fire, all of these things that can happen down the road that seem wild and crazy and are, but then there's just human frailty when it comes to disease. Like, if those things can happen to you when you own a retirement account, the bankruptcy code gives you a safe harbor. That, that asset is protected need not be spent down, cannot re be reached by creditors, which is amazing. The question was, well, what about inherited IRAs? Does it count as a retirement account, as a safe harbor, as an asset protection safe harbor? In that fact pattern, Remaker, the court ruling was no. Ding, 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 oh wow. So now, what was asset protected, in a marvelous way, for kids, second generation, is not. That's a legal shift. That, that is a tremor beneath our feet. The second big blow was SECURE Act, enacted in December, effective in January. Now, 
So the new rule is um, when kids inherit, basically, they get tax deferral for 10 years, not their life expectancy, which was the prior rule. And the reason Congress did that is because they want money. They want to get the money back into society. They want to get their tax money. They, they are trying to keep retirement assets. They want to get it back into the game, which is a major, major blow to your wealth if and only if your goal is to build wealth for more than one generation. A state, tra- I mean, like, Secure Act is no threat at all to simple plans that, are, that focus on estate transfer. I have the asset, I'm dead, just get it to the kids, good luck. Okay, well, that approach is just fine. I mean, it's lazy, um, it's simple-minded, and the assets will be gone very quickly, but they'll have fun. I mean, you know, uh, 10 years. Ten years spend down on all your account. That's that's fine. I mean, I believe in enjoying life. Nothing wrong with the Audi S5. It's got 330 horsepower. It's supercharged. You can go really fast in that thing. However, um, if the idea is generational family wealth, then what about grandkids? Because if we changed our thinking and thought more like a Rockefeller or a Kennedy. And their concept was amazing. Rockefeller invented this idea of family wealth. And the idea is, let's bring the family together. We've got the money. I can pass it on in a lazy way and it'll perish quickly. Or we can bring it together into our family. Defined family is people on our side who have our values, not just immediate family and finance what our family wants to work on. If our family is enthusiastic about bike racing, let's finance that. (laughs) And so how does the family promote and live the bicycle racing lifestyle for generations? And, And really, families that are really close, I've seen it. I've seen bike races with three generations of racers at the same race. I've always envied it. I mean, a family that tight and that close, estate planning doesn't do that. Asset protection doesn't do that. Estate, well, generational family wealth planning does that. Family, generational family wealth planning absorbs all the law, strategies, trusts, and techniques of estate planning and asset protection and uses additional legal strategies to include business entity and family governance planning to make that asset last for seven generations. The thinking of a medieval man at 20 who's only going to be 25 years old is short-term, makes completely different decisions than the same man would make in the modern age who has a life expectancy of 85. You will make completely different decisions about your estate plan if you stop looking at it as passing wealth at your death and think about asset protections during your lifetime. And then if you're as, as so, if such a visionary as to protect retirement accounts and wealth for more than just the next immediate generation, you will make different decisions about 
trust. Like, what kind of trust will I use? What will the provisions be? What will be the overall plan? Completely different decisions. The three models that you choose decide which actions you will take as regards to Secure Act. Estate planning, do nothing. Asset protection, standalone retirement trust. Family wealth planning, probably that. That is cascading generational dynasty trust. You don't need to know what those things are right now. The teaching point is three different models, three different views, three different decisions, three different types of estate plans. That was pretty good. Trying to get it under an hour to describe the philosophy and 30,000 foot view of a major piece of legislation that was just passed. And I think I did it. Before I let you go, just a reminder, we have a lot going on at BoomX Nation. Right around the time that the SECURE Act was enacted, actually at the exact same time, BoomX Nation website launched. The idea behind BoomX Nation was to, rather than create yet another social group on Facebook, how about a group away from the poisonous pond of Facebook? Facebook doesn't need to own everything. <laughs> it's not like the only place where conversations can occur. What I don't like about Facebook is the distraction of negativity related to politics. People think that people who think they're talking about the law but really aren't. And so I created a safe environment for you all away from the bullies. And you can register for free at, for an account. Now, candidly, we need some energy going, some momentum. So be one of the first brave ones to log in, create account at BoomX Nation so we can start forum discussions about these changes. There's also an academy. I am adding content to create educational courses. Some will be free. Some will be tuition-based. And, of course, there is the podcast. So BoomXNation.com, BoomXAcademy, and BoomXShow are all on one website chassis. One place to go to get the latest. Check it out. I would appreciate it. That's all I had to say for the good of the cause.